If you have your Bible or your electronic device, lift it above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life, again, and my life. One more time, and my life is the better. After hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Book of Genesis chapter number three, starting at verses number one. This is a very familiar passage of scripture, uh, but there's some nuggets that I want to extrapolate out of this text that I believe are relevant to where we are as the church, as well as where God is taking us. The Bible declares, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Interesting. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. But the Lord God called to the man, verse number 10, and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, I, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, it was Irene. <laughs> it wasn't me, God. It was that woman that you gave me. And all the brothers said, amen. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for this time together. Um, you, you bless us. You bless us. You bless us. I realize, God, that I can't do nothing of myself. Greg is incompetent, uh, inferior, all those in, 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 insufficient, in, in, intelligent. Is that no unintelligent yet? All of, all of those uns and ends, that's what I am. So I'm asking for your strength, support, grace. Let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, let's go here. So we're in the middle of a series, just started last week, entitled uh, Autopsy of a Deceased Marriage. <laughs> Autopsy of a Deceased Marriage. Um, I've been troubled for some time now been trouble. Um, grateful. This year in October, I will be celebrating 27 years of preaching. Y'all make some noise for your boy. 27 years of preaching. This is my 20th year of pastoral ministry, 16 years here on the coast, four years in Hattiesburg. And out of my 27 years of preaching, 20 years of pastoral ministry, Nothing in my experience of church and ministry has troubled me more than the effects of divorce. Nothing. When a couple decide we done, let's quit. 
So I went on a journey, man. Um, it started about, about 15 years ago, year, year, year number two after I started here, because it was crazy. Not only was my personal marriage being challenged, I saw all of these couples going through some chaotic and crazy times. So I began to do some study, research, prayer on, on marriage longevity. What does it take to make it through? And this is something that I found that in the U.S., Western marriages, 50% of them actually end in divorce. Everybody shout, that ain't good. 50% of nothing ain't good. In school, if you get a 50, that's an F. <laughs> if I tell you, I'm, I'm going to sell you this car, but it's a 50% chance that it's not going to last more than a year, that ain't good. If I give you $100 and you can only guarantee I'm going to get $50 back, that ain't good. So 50% of marriages, all marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. Second marriages, that goes up to 67%. Third marriages go up to about 73% end in divorce. That is not good. So I've been tracking these statistics for some years, and I found something that was interesting. Over the past um, 10 to 15 years, the divorce rate has actually gone down. Everybody shout, that's good. So we think. So I would, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, through research, why is it that the divorce rate has actually gone down? And, and I found out that there have been a, a great emphasis on marital enrichment programs. There's been a great emphasis on marital counseling and all that other kind of wonderful stuff. But when I did my research on that, it didn't point to the reason why divorce has actually gone down. And the reason the, the divorce rate has gone down is because... Folk ain't getting married like they used to. They choosing to just cohabitate. Now y'all use, I wasn't going to use my grandma word. I heard y'all, shack. <laughs> we just going to make it work. This is just, and, and so, so in essence, the separation rate is probably the same, if not worse. It's just not being tracked because you ain't going to the courthouse no more. So, man, I'm tripping in my mind as a young guy. I'm, I'm thinking because I, I got this beautiful woman right here, and, and I want to spend, listen, I want to spend the rest of my life. I made a decision. I'm never going to divorce my wife. I'm never going to divorce my wife. By the same token, I made a decision. I'm not going to be unhappy. <laughs> so it has forced me to figure out how to make this thing work. Let me just pause there for a second because some of y'all hit the quit button too easily. Do you, do you know what actually happens, not even from a spiritual standpoint, but from a psychological standpoint? Do you really know what happens when you decide, I'm not going to quit? You force your mind to come up with options and alternatives that could possibly work. But when you still got the quit button on the shelf, the pressure to force yourself into thinking, how can I make this thing work, it, it goes away. So I got rid of the quit button in my, in my marriage, and I decided I'm going to figure out how to make this thing work. So I've been doing some more research over the past four or five years, and, and this is what I, I found out. So in the West, United States, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Watch this. In the East, 98% of marriages not only stick together, but experience marital happiness. Or satisfaction, that's what the research says, marital satisfaction. So I'm trying to figure out, hey, maybe we need to move to India. <laughs> maybe it's Nagapoit. <laughs> if we get out of the Nav, then we'll be all right. 
So what's the difference between the East and the West? Well, in the East, they practice what we call arranged marriages. Now, I, some of y'all frowning already. <laughs> and I feel you because, you know, I, you know when, I, when I fell in love with this girl, you know, I brought her home. See, mom and pop, I brought her to my pastor. I brought her to my best friend, Anthony, because I wanted them to check her out. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't have been okay with daddy saying, you gonna, you, oh, you going to marry her. Huh, what? I don't want you to choose for me. Brother want to choose on his own. And I think I chose well. Yeah. She actually chose well because there wouldn't be any options in Philadelphia, Mississippi. <laughs> it wasn't it a whole bunch of options. Man, I, I brought my wife up. Let me tell you, I brought her down here the first time I brought her here, Bill. I took her downtown to the Hancock Bank building. She looked at the Hancock Bank building. She said, ah, is that a skyscraper? <laughs> I exposed you. <laughs> I'm tripping, I'm tripping, I'm tripping. So in the East, they practice arranged marriages. In the West, we have love-based choice marriages. But their marriages have a 98% success rate of not just longevity, but marital satisfaction. Whereas we have a 50% divorce rate and the half that do stay together, it's not a whole bunch of them that I want my marriage to actually look like. So this is what I've been uh, 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 wrestling with for the past five years because I've been studying this for five years. What is the big difference between um, arranged marriages and the marriages that we actually in the U.S. prefer? I prefer to choose on my own. I prefer to engage on my own. And, and there, are, there are two things that, that we're going to talk about. Number one, we dealt with last week uh, that leads to longevity in marriage. Number one is relational accountability. Relational accountability. Because uh, you just can't treat my baby girl any kind of way. Because me and her parents have talked we have conversated, and we have come up with an arrangement, and if you act some kind of way, you don't just answer the, you got to answer to, it's quiet up in here. I, I, had, a, I had a buddy, I had a buddy, y'all hanging there with me, I had a buddy, he called me, I'm talking about extremely upset, I mean like going off kind of upset, and the reason he's going off because he has a cousin that he basically raised, he basically raised this, this little cousin, and, and the, her, her father was in and out of jail, that type of deal, but he raised her. And she went off, got engaged, and got married without his consent. Not, not, not some of y'all are like, no, nah, no. Nah. What you mean his consent? She grown. I know. This is what he told me. That, with, 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 I could hear tears on the other side of the phone. He said, she didn't give me an opportunity to look him in the eyes and threaten him. My buddy with tears in his eyes, he said, she didn't give me an opportunity to look him in the eyes and threaten him. You know what he was trying to say? He, he, she didn't give me an opportunity to let him know that she got somebody in her life that you ain't just going to be able to do whatever you want to do and get away with it. If you trip, you coming to see me, player. In Eastern countries, you have arranged marriages where there is high accountability. And how many know there's a tendency to do right when you have to be accountable? 
That's the first thing that I saw. Here's the second thing that I saw in arranged marriages. I saw a greater sense of purpose and vision for the marriage coming together. So, me and your father saw how this could work to benefit not only y'all, but to benefit our legacy, our lineage. And so, there are times, especially in India, that a couple comes together and they don't even know each other prior to the marriage ceremony. Never seen each other. But it's working. And the reason it's working is because in tough times, I'm not relying on a feeling that I felt. In tough times, I'm relying on the fact that there is purpose of us coming to... I'm losing y'all. I'm losing y'all. I'm losing y'all. But I need you to see this. I need you to see this because in some of you all's marriage, some of the reason you're having the challenges that you're having is because you have no vision for your marriage. You have no, you have no, no foresight as to like why we really together other than you fine, I'm fine, you got it going on, I got it going on, we got chemistry. How many of you all know what it's like to work on a job with somebody you don't have good chemistry with, but you know you got to work with them to get the job done, and, and some type of way you make it work because of the common goal? In marriage, many of us don't make it work because we have limited vision as to why we're together in the first place. Are y'all with me in this place? Let me give you some proof text. In the book of Proverbs 29, 18, the Bible declares, where there is no vision, the people do what, y'all? The people perish. That word perish means not to come to fruition, or it means for the fruit to fail. And in marriages, many fruit is failing because there is no vision. We don't know where we're going. Come on, somebody. What's the purpose of a vision? What, what's, think, think about that. What's the, what's the purpose? I heard some, somebody shout direction. What's the purpose of a of, of vision? Vision. Um, 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 Aunt Charlotte, help me out. What's the vision of the church, ma'am? What's the vision of the church? This church. Mm -hmm. No God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. To the end, our lives make a difference. That's the vision of the church. To know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. To the end, our lives make a difference. Why is, no, real talk. Why have we like oversold what the vision is. We, we, some, some of y'all think we just give free t-shirts because we just being nice. I ain't being nice. <laughs> I promise you, I ain't. When I look at the budget, it don't make sense to give away free t-shirts. Why do you keep giving away these shirts that says, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, to the end, your lives make a difference. I'll tell you why. It's because I need the vision of the church to stay in front of the people. Why does the vision need to stay in front of, the, in front of people's vision? It's because every decision that we make ought to be in line with the vision. And there are certain things that should be easy to say no to. As a pastor, it's been a bunch of things that I just said no to, not because I didn't like it, not because it wasn't a good idea. It doesn't align with what our vision is. And as a couple, there are some things that y'all are doing that might be counterproductive simply because the vision for your relationship is not actually sound. The Bible declares where there is, everybody shall know vision. Here's the real problem. <laughs> it ain't that you and your spouse don't have no vision. Y'all got that vision. 
Because real talk, if I ask your wife what's the vision for the finances, she's going to give me something. And if I ask you what's the vision, he's going to give me something else. If I ask you what's the vision of the children, she got to an answer. What's the vision? You got to an answer. Y'all got not no vision, but going in two di- Oh, my God, today. When you define what the vision is, then you're able to make proper plans to support what you said your vision is. My, my wife and I, we were, we, we were uh, having a conversation. It was actually us and, and Jamie. And I, I said something. I said something. I said, I said, giving my kids everything I didn't have is not making them better than who I am. It's just not. Giving them everything that I didn't have, I thank God for my parents. I thank, I thank God for them, and they did the best that they could. But it's a whole bunch of stuff that brother just suffered with. Just did not, just did not have. It, it's funny, um, one of the guys has this same deal. I, I grew up with this, this, this knot, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's a soft tissue spot on my knee. And it, if you would just do like this to my knee, I'd just break down crying. And, and I didn't know what that was until I was like 27. I went to the doctor and I was like, doc, this knee already hurt. He said, oh yeah, that's, that's this right here. All you need to do is this right there. I'm like, man, my parents ain't never took me to the doctor. <laughs> I get hurt in football, can't even play. Dad'd be like, walk it off, boy, walk it off, walk it off. So, 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 so my wife, our vision for our children has been, we, wanna, we want them, watch this, we want them to know how much we love them, and because we want them to know how much we love them, we've been bending over backwards doing all of these extra activities for them to communicate love, but these extra activities ain't making them better, it's making them, I actually need my babies to be better than your daddy. Be stronger than me. Be sharper than me. Be faster than me. So we, we've been talking, what do we need to do differently to make sure that our babies not just have more stuff than what we have, but watch this, are actually more progressive than what we are. So the Bible declares where there is no vision. Everybody shout no vision. So I'm talking particularly to couples, but I, this, this message is applicable to families as well because if you don't know what your vision is, then everybody is doing what's right in their own sight and you're going nowhere as a family. Habakkuk says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Everybody shout write the vision. Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Well, you've got to actually come together and put the vision on a piece of paper so everybody is on the same page. This is what we're doing with our finances. This is what we're doing with our future. This is what we're doing with our children. This is why you can't spend a night tonight. This is why you can't go there tonight. This is not why we're not getting ready to buy a new, because this is our vision. This is where we're going. Everybody shout, we need vision. Understand, when God created Adam and Eve, there was no ambiguity as to purpose and vision. God knew exactly why he put Adam with Eve. The Bible declares 
Then the Lord said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God says, I'm, I'm putting you together because I want you to manage and steward what it is that I have created. He goes on to declare verse number 28, and God blessed them and God said, to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Not only do I want you to steward, I want you to actually grow what I've created. I want you to multiply what I have put in your hands. It is, oh my God, that's so good right there. The question is, the vision that you have, is it your vision or God's vision? Is it actually what God wants, or is it just what you're making me preach a whole lot harder than I really want to? But I need you to see this because, listen, 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 God wants to do something phenomenal in your life, but your life needs more direction. You need, you need, you need bumper rails. So you can stop going into the gutters. Bumpers provide vision that says the goal is to knock those pins down. Vision provides bumpers. That wasn't even in the notes. That was so good. Look, look, look at this. Um, chapter number 2, verse number 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden... 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God starts out by giving them vision, then he continues on to let them know what are things that they can do that could be counterproductive to the vision that I've given you. So I want you to steward the earth. I want you to multiply. I want you to grow. I want you to manage what I've given you. But there are some activities over here that you get involved in that will be counterproductive to what it is that I have called you and your spouse to do. Now, some of y'all have great vision for finances, but the way you spend doesn't support the vision that you say you have for your finances. Some of you guys have great vision for your health. I mean, you even got it on the vision board. You got it like me. I got this big old muscle man on my vision board, and I cut his head off, put my head on there. <laughs> I got great vision, but there are times when my eating habits contradict what I say my vision is. I got great vision. Listen, I want to grow old with this woman. I want to... <laughs> You know what? I want to I want to dress together. I don't want to dress alike like right now. <laughs> I don't want to do that right now. She she asked me. She said, "What you wearing?" I said, "Clothes." <laughs> I went clothes. I guarantee if I told you she'd have on some pink. I want to be like 90. And you have on a lime green Adidas jumpsuit on. And I'm walking right behind you with my lime green on. That's, that's, let's wait until we about 90 or so. You, you understand what I'm saying? I plan to be with her. Truly to death do us part. And the time that we're together, I want it to be blissful. I want it to be happy. But watch this. 
what I've had to manage is to make sure how I talk to her ain't counterproductive to what I want in our Y'all, 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 come, come. Okay, let, let me help the brothers with short-term goals. Everybody shout short-term goals. If I want a blessing tonight, and I do, hey, watch this, let me do it like John, hey. If I want a blessing tonight, I read a book called Sex Starts in the Kitchen. <laughs> and I, I, I need you to run out. I need you to run out. I sure need you to run out. <laughs> yes, Lord. I'm going to be honest. My kids are blockers. That's exactly what they are. I give my wife that look. She give me that look. As soon as we look at each other, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Mom, what? Whatever it is you want, you can have it. Get out of here. Short term go. If my vision is blessing tonight, I'm going to be real sweet this morning. Sweetie, you look amazing. <laughs> is there anything I can do for you? Thank you. If, if, your, if your vision is this, then you need to ensure that there are things that you aren't doing that are counterproductive to what you and your spouse actually said that y'all want. Let's, let's, let's back up. I'm moving fast. I'm moving fast because I'm really passionate about this thing. Because really, every, every birthday, I realize I don't have as much time as I used to. I just turned 45, and so I have a year less time now than I did a year ago to accomplish whatever it is that God has placed in our hearts. Our hearts. Because what God has called me to do, he has actually called us to do. Adam means mankind. Eve means mother of mankind. He put them together because their destinies matched. Abram meant exalted father. Eve meant, uh, um, uh, uh, Sarah means, meant uh, honored mother. For their destinies, their names match. You have an honored, exalted father and an honored mother. Well, when God changed Abram's destiny to Abraham, not just an honored father, but a father of many nations, guess what he had to do? He had to change Sarai's name as well to match his destiny. And I'm telling you today that your spouse, your destinies match. The question is, do you both know what it is? Do you know why you're on this earth together? 
It's got to be more than just sex. It's got to be more than just having kids, making babies. It's got to be more than just creating bills and paying the bills off. At the end of the day, our lives should have made a mark in the earth. And that mark should not be by accident or coincidence. We should have known from the beginning what type of mark that we were trying to make. Come on, somebody. So that we would have been able to measure the effectiveness of the mark that we were supposed to make. What is the mark that you and your your spouse is supposed to make together? And how progressive are you right now in executing that mark? Are y'all with me in this place? Watch this. Genesis chapter number 2. God speaks to the man and the woman again. Verse number 18. God speaks to Adam and he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be, everybody shout alone. Hmm. In essence, Adam, what you're called to do, you can't do it by yourself. And if God has given y'all a vision, one of y'all working on the vision is not sufficient. You may have different roles, but as long as we're on the same team and actually going toward the same goal, that's okay. But if we're on the same team and one of us sitting on the bench chilling and the other one is actually trying to make this thing work, come on somebody, you're actually setting your marriage up for failure. Are y'all with me in this place? So he says it's not, it's not good for the man to be, give, give me a handheld, I'm getting tired of this thing. And y'all getting tired of me looking at this, trying to fix it. Thank you. Check, check, testing. Give me a little, little, little boost on the stage, please. Can y'all hear me okay down there? Y'all hear me good? There is a difference between, what do I need to do? I need this one. Testing, testing one. Testing one. Turn me your hair down in on the stage, please. Just the hair. Y'all hear me good out there? This sound better? Let's do it. It is not good for the man to be alone. Understand that there's a difference between introversion and isolation. There's some of y'all that actually kind of got that confused. I could tell by a post that I, I put it on, on Facebook um, some time ago, maybe, uh, maybe it was about two or three weeks ago, and I was talking about the value of community. And there was this one person, they, you know, they kind of argued against me. I ain't say nothing, but I just, I read the comment, but I knew underneath what was actually driving that comment. They said something to the, the, the fact that I work better by myself. I'm... I'm I, I do things better when I'm, um, it's just me, myself, and I. Something to that effect. They're, try, they're actually confused in isolation and being an introvert. An introvert is just a method of recharging. My wife is an extrovert. She, she recharges better in a group of people. I really am an introvert. I recharge better when I'm by myself just kind of self-reflecting. But Isolation is not the same as being an introvert. When you're isolated, whether you realize it or not, isolation is actually a defense mechanism so you don't get hurt. 
And some of y'all are saying that you are introvert. No, you just got fear in you because you don't want to hurt nobody and you don't want to be hurt no more. It's quiet up in here. So even if you are an introvert and you recharge alone, God is still saying it's not good for you to stay alone because we're actually better in community. Are y'all with me in this place? So he says to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I will make him a helper. Verse number 18, 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. 20 declares, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. God took his time to make sure that he created something for Adam that was going to be a complement to the vision that he placed on the inside of him. And you and your spouse, both of you guys are vision, everybody shout, I am a vision carrier. You are a vision carrier, and God has put your family together. And again, I want to take this beyond just the context of husband and wife, because if you're single and it's just you and baby girl or baby boy and yourself in the house, y'all need to be vision carriers. Get on the same page so everybody can run accordingly. So God didn't create them by accident, coincident. He didn't just throw them together. What's making this work? They have high accountability and they have vision. This is where things went wrong with Adam and Eve. And this is where things often go wrong with us as family units. We're not great guarders of vision. We, we, don't, we don't guard vision well. As a church, again, one of the reasons we continue to highlight knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose to the end, your life make a difference, is because if we're going to be successful as a church, then literally everything that we do has to align with the vision that God has given us. Because watch this, God always causes his vision to succeed. So when we begin to do things outside of vision, we're actually setting ourselves up for failure. So, so excited, so excited. So, so with the retreat center, um, been praying on some things, and, and, and it's, it's really been tough because I've been trying to find a model of actually what to build. Because how many know when you pour concrete, you don't just take it back up? So when you pour that slab, whatever that slab is, bro, that's what's... Look, Bell, what, what, was the, what, what was the cost? Like 50000 just for the slab, bro. Just for the slab. We ain't talking about wood and, and steel. We ain't even talking about plumbing. Concrete, 50000 So when we pour that slab, we can't be like, well, maybe we ought to put it over. No, well, no. This is what we're building right here. So I've come up with a couple of designs, this, that, and the other. And, and it, finally, it finally just rested in my spirit. I, I made a call to Pearl River um, Baptist Association. The brothers, we're going out there again in October. Brothers, let me hear you make some noise. That wasn't enough noise. 
know what to know. Man, I'm gonna give y'all one more chance. Brothers, I'm gonna take you away from your wife and kids for three days. Can y'all make some noise? Getting better. Look, Chris was the only one that stood up. Chris like. <laughs> Jamie, have him. So I like the design of the facility. And I said, we could do this. We, we could actually do this. So, so I, I made a call, and I let them know that we were coming. And I said, hey, listen, we're planning to build our own retreat center. And when I come up to, to make the arrangements, I like to take some measurements because we want to duplicate what you guys have already built. This lady told me, don't worry about measurements. I'll just give you the plans. I'm just going to give you the design. Won't he do it? Now, now, now understand the design behind the retreat center. The design is, I saw as a pastor the value of what he was doing to my brothers and my sisters when we would go away for a couple of days and then come back in. The, the, the freedom and the liberty that was happening in their souls. This fits within our vision of not just knowing God, but finding freedom. And I want to be able to not only provide that for this church, help churches around as well experience the same opportunity of taking your congregations away for a couple of days for specialized ministry. Because it fits within the vision, we're doing it. And because it fits within the vision, God is supporting it. Am I making sense? So as a couple, there is a vision, our, our general vision for my family. And it's funny because it wasn't supposed to be a church thing at all. It wasn't supposed to be a church thing. It was just my family. I just started saying it, and then the church started saying it, and I, and I guess we adopted it. We are a family that honors God in everything we say and do. General dynamics of our vision. We are a family that honors God in everything we say and do. So what we have to do, my wife and I, we sit down and we look at the different areas of our family. In our finances, are we actually honoring God? As parents, are we actually honoring God? As business owners, are we actually honoring God? As pastors, are we actually honoring God? Are we living up to the vision that we believe that God gave to us, that we are a family that honors God in everything we say and in everything that we do? So I can't just show up and act like I'm a good husband but talk to her any kind of way because I said in my vision, we are a family that honors God and not just what we do but in what we say as well. So my question to the couples and to the families today is, what are you doing in your vision that's counterproductive to vision? 
What decisions are you making financially that are counterproductive to the vision that you have for your financial goals? What decisions are you making as a parent that are counterproductive to the vision that you have for your children? I'll tell you one decision. I have on purpose, and it's, it's funny because I have on purpose been telling Nate no. Now, Nate rarely, if ever, gives me any problem in comparison to all my other kids. You're crazy if you won't. Nate really doesn't ask for just, he just be like, son, what you want for, for your birthday? Dad, whatever you guys give me, I'll appreciate it. <laughs> Man, this kid right here. But I know telling a kid yes on everything is actually setting them up for a failure in the future because I promise you life is going to tell you no a whole bunch of times. And if you don't know how to deal with the no's, you're going to be a 30-year-old spoiled brat, come on somebody, that a boss got to put up with because your mama and daddy didn't check you when you was in the house at 13. So I have been on purpose telling him no to stuff that he would normally get a yes to. And while I tell him no, I'm checking his attitude to see if he manages it well. Because you do know it's a such thing as emotional intelligence. And whether you realize it or not, he cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature at the same time. They do not work. So for our kids, because we have a certain vision of what we want, all of our babies, my, my babies, they, like, like real talk, real talk. Um, <laughs> one of them mumbled one time, it was a charity of Teresa, one of them, they were like, I can't, I can't wait to get out this house. They, they were just, it was like, under, I just can't wait to get out this house. I'm like, ah, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you, you think I want you here? <laughs> you. Do you really think I want you here? Oh no, baby. Let me let me tell I got plans for your room. <laughs> Real talk. I'm gonna have an upstairs office. <laughs> Shoot, Aisha tell you, when Aisha moved out the house, <clears throat> I moved her room out in my office in the same day. <laughs> She was in there trying to sweep. I said, don't sweep. I'm going to take you all that. You just, <laughs> you live over there now. <laughs> this is, I don't know why they thought that, like, like you're you going to hurt my feelings when you leave. No, no, no. I'm, I'm ready. Watch this, watch this. I'm doing everything in my power to put everything you need in you so you never have to come back. Now, I'm going to be a good father, and, and, you know, you fall on hard times, life happens, you know what I'm saying? Come, come, come on in, come on in for, for a couple of, couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, come on. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready as a parent to walk around my house any way I want to. And I want you to, too. 
watch this. We don't want to call it. We all don't want to call it. Because <laughs> I pray we don't want to call it. Uh, y'all pray for me and my wife. Cause we, we, we do have some. I don't know what's going on. Um, so I am, listen, I am super excited to have my, my first grandbaby on the way, y'all. Can y'all make some noise? I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm, I'm so excited. I am so excited. And I, I'll be, I've been trying to hide it, but I can't, I can't hide it any longer. I'm like really excited. One of my mentors told me this. He said, don't kill your kids because better ones are coming. That's what he said concerning your grandkids. Don't kill your kids because better ones are coming. I cannot wait until my grandbaby get here. I'm just, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Um, but we not on one accord, though. Because they, they have set up a, a baby room at, at their house for my wife. Sleep. Why are we doing that? <laughs> That kid got two parents. <laughs> what are we doing with that? You know what I'm saying? My wife be walking in the store, and I'm, I'm talking about not, not just little cheap stuff, like expensive stuff. I'm finna buy that for my grandbaby. I'm finna buy that. I'm like, hold on. That kid got two working parents. <laughs> Y'all just pray for this, right? Because right now, we got some division. <laughs> No real talk. Financially, we're gonna bless. Eh. Financially, we're gonna bless all of our children. We're gonna bless all of our grandchildren. So th th this hit me. This hit me. This hit me. This hit me. I'm I'm working like extremely overtime right now. I have a rental property somebody moved out of, and I'm I'm doing some renovations in it. I got another property in Hattiesburg. Um, somebody moved out, and the one in Hattiesburg they just trashed it. I got to go up there next month make some more renovations. And I'm, I'm, I'm like really, I'm taxing, I'm taxing my body and my mind, like real talk, because I need to get these properties. What's, what's like the real purpose behind it? B because if I don't have like clear vision, I sell all this stuff. But the purpose behind it is I want to actually leave an inheritance for my children's children. So I want to make sure that I have something operable that's producing income for years to come. When I'm dead and gone off the scene, you still got something that you're making money off of that your daddy and mama put in position. Because the vision is clear as to what we want to do with these properties the stress associated with accomplishing the vision doesn't affect me as much. If I didn't clearly see the vision, I'd be complaining every day about this property and, and this and that. But because I see it clearly, I'm working hard towards it. And there are some of you all complaining about stuff in your marriage, and the reason your complaints are so loud is because your vision is unclear. What are you and your spouse Man, am I, am, I make, am I making sense? Like real talk, am I making sense or am I, I'm just out here? I need y'all to, to see this and hear this. Because without a vision of people, what, y'all? They perish. So not only do you need vision, 
you actually need to guard against anything that will take vision away. Let's deal with it. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot these four things down. Here's number one. Here's the first thing, because I want to challenge you as a couple to be a vision enforcer. Vision enforcer. When you and your wife come together, and by the way, by the way, let me, let me go. Sweetie, stand with me. There is no decision that I move forward with without 100% support. There is nothing Greg McGee does that I don't have 100% support. Now, I do appreciate the fact that there are times when my wife will be honest and say, I really don't see it, but if you're that passionate about it, I'll support you in it. Because there are times when I can see clearly, and then there are times when God is speaking to me. I don't know the whole picture, but I really do know that this is God, and I can't afford to miss this window of opportunity. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because you got too many couples, sometimes the husband, sometimes the wife, that's like, come, come on, girl, come on, girl, we got we to gotta, we gotta do this. We got to go over here. And, and you look up, and your wife way back there. And you're trying to figure out why is there disharmony now between you and your spouse. I tell you why. Because you left them. You're working on something and they don't know what. Ah, I need this woman to support everything I do. And by the same token, I want to be in a position that no matter what it is that God has placed in her belly to do, whether it's a snowball stand, whether it's a food truck, whether it's real estate, whether it's taxes, whatever it is. I want to support her and hold her up. But the only way that I can support that is she needs to communicate to me what it is that she said God has placed in her belly. So this goes back yeah, to what we talked about last week. We how, many went home, how many of y'all went home and actually started a family meeting? How many of y'all? We got here? Family meeting. One back here. There's not enough hands in here. Nikki, you started a family meeting? Come talk to me. Can you, can you tell me about your family meeting? And, and you don't have to be married to have a family meeting. Thank you. Where are you going? Oh, Stay with the vision. <laughs> come, come, please, please. And my, my lovely, she said, you do not have to be married to have a family meeting. T tell me about the family meeting. What, first of all, what, give, give her a mic. You got another mic? Get, get that mic, chat. I spit on this one. Oh, it's anointed. <laughs> Try that. First of all, what, what week are you guys meeting on? What, excuse me, what day of the week are y'all meeting on? So it has to alternate because of my husband's schedule. Okay. So on the week that weekday on um on a Wednesday night and um on the weekends that he's off we're gonna do it on a Saturday morning okay now what was the last family meeting um so we just 
you know, allow the children to express themselves and we just asked them what their issues were and we just came up with one idea because we didn't have enough time to do three. Um, and so we started from the youngest family member to the oldest. And even though I'm older than my husband, he told me I gotta go first because he wanted to go last. So I humbled myself. <laughs> I humbled myself and I, you know, I went, um, I went uh, before him. And what was amazing to me is that what we saw sometimes as issues, our children don't even, you know, they're not even bothered by it. Because we started with Noah, and I said, Noah, what, what would you like to change about this family? Is there any issues that you have with this family? He's like, nope, I'm happy. I love this family. And it was just so encouraging to us, you know. And then the other ones, one of my children said that they would like for their chores to be written out for them. And, you know, it provoked us as parents. Like, we left the meeting and went to the dollar store to buy stuff to write out their chores for them, you know. And it was just a blessing. And I'm looking forward to the next meeting because we're going to talk about vision. <laughs> Good. Now, watch this. Just hang tight for a second because this is what I want you to see. Uh, first of all, I, I really like that. When... We first started our family meetings years ago. Greg Jr. was like in the seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And he wanted to know, we, we asked him, what did he want to change? He might have been younger than that. He wanted to change his bedtime. And he had a great argument as to why he was old enough and he, he didn't have to go to bed at 8 o'clock no more. And we was like, Hey, you can go to bed at 8.05. <laughs> no, I think we wind up changing it to 9 o'clock or whatever. Watch, this, this is what happened. And this is what happens. You can have silent disgruntlements amongst your children. And silent disgruntle, dis, dis, what's that word? That word <laughs> turns into passive behavior passive-aggressive behavior, where your kids are doing stuff intentionally that they know irritates you because you're doing something that irritates them that they don't feel like they can talk to you about it. So having these conversations gets out of them problems by the same token when, and she, now she ain't tell me what her and her husband talked about. Uh, that's all right, that's all right. children. Um, I told them that I think I might have a shopping slash hoarding problem. And, you know, I never really, like, confessed that to them before. I mean, I'm sure they could see it, but it was just a moment of vulnerability to, for me because, you know, sometimes as a, as a parent, you have to be so strong. You have to be keep it together. And for your children to see that, hey, I need help too, it can encourage them. Family meeting is designed to deal with challenges and difficulties in the relationship. Now we're only doing that like once a week. A are we gonna deal with 
other problems or whatever as they surface. If it's light enough, we can handle it without it exploding. We'll handle it. But the, the tough stuff, let's push that once a week. Why? Because emotionally, many of us cannot handle negativity every single day. Many of us are not wired to like really handle problems every single day. So pushing this to once a day, excuse me, once a week helps us emotionally. But when it comes to vision, we don't talk about vision once a week. We talk about vision every day. Every day we talking about where we're going, what our finances are looking like, what our children are looking like, what our businesses are looking like. Why are we talking about vision every day? It's because we're making decisions that affect vision every single day. And it's, it's almost like, it's almost like my, my, my car. My car, it'll drive itself. So if I take my hands off the steering wheel, it self-corrects itself based on the distance between the two lines. And that's what conversating about vision is or uh, uh, does for you. It helps you to self-correct because as you're making decisions that might jeopardize where you're going, because we're talking about it, it puts us back in position. Does that make sense? Good. Y'all give it up for my girl here. Thank you. So these four things, I want you to write them down because I want you to be, everybody shout, I am a vision enforcer. I want you to come up with the vision. You and your spouse, you and your family, y'all need to be talking about where you're going. And once you come up with a vision as to what it is that you're actually wanting to do, you got to be a vision enforcer. So number one, what that means is don't talk to people about your family vision that don't support your family. Don't talk to people about family vision that don't support your family. And some of y'all got folk in your life, for whatever reason, don't like your husband, don't like your wife, but love to give you their opinion. It's funny, I got a family member, he, like, he really does not like kids. He, he just, like real talk, he don't like kids. He'll tell a kid in a minute, don't, look, I don't play with kids, get on over there. Like real talk, he will say that in a minute. But I find it funny, whenever we get together, he want to tell me how to be a parent to my kid. And you don't even like kids. Watch this, Genesis 3 and 1. Now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent, the devil, is talking to Eve about vision, and he has a corrupt heart about the God that gave her the vision. Here's number two. Don't change the vision without the support of your spouse. Are there times when it's necessary to alter the vision? Absolutely. As you grow, as you learn, there are some things that you want to incorporate. Watch this. There are some things that you want to do that doesn't currently fit in the context of what your vision is. And maybe God is expanding that vision right, right, right now. As a church, we really have a focus on this local community. Like, we really want to hit this community hard. As we continue to grow uh, uh, nationally, internationally, there will be some components of our vision that will shift and change. Well, if, we're gonna, if I'm going to do that as a pastor, I cannot do it without the support of my board members. 
had a board meeting this past, this past uh, Tuesday, Thursday night, and, and in the board meeting, watch this, I'm lunching vision as to where we're going. Why you lunching vision? Is because I need them to not only know what God is doing in your pastor and where we're going, I need you guys to help me to be the enforcers of what it is we're going. Because I promise you, there will be naysayers be like, well, why are we buying that big old, why are we buying 14.6? Wait, ain't no other church doing that. Exactly. Because it's our vision to provide that type ministry, and it might not be the churches down the street's vision to do that. Am I making sense? So again, here's number two. Don't change or alter the vision without the support of your spouse. Genesis 3.3. And God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now she's changing the vision because God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. Matter of fact, he told them they were going to have to touch it because they have to take care of the garden. They got to prune the trees. So you're going to actually have to touch this tree. Just don't eat it. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Five declares, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was never part of the vision. God says, I want you to manage. I want you to manage this earth. I want you to produce it. It wasn't in your vision to try to be more like me. I've already created you in my Im image and my likeness. Why are you trying to be more like me when I gave you me from the beginning? So the enemy is tempting them to alter vision. And here it is. Eve is about to make a shift and not communicating with her husband until after she makes the shift in vision. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. Here's number three. When, when the plans, when vision plans fail, because I'm in an old plans will fail. You can have great vision, but then you implement tasks and plans in order to execute the vision. And then there are times when those plans, they fall to the ground. They don't work. It doesn't mean that the vision, it doesn't mean that the vision wasn't any good. The plans just didn't work. So if it don't work, here's number three. Don't blame each other. Be responsible for your part and help your spouse to recover. That ain't what Adam did. The plans failed and he threw Eve under the bus. Adam, where you at? I hear it. Why? Because this woman you gave me. He put the blame and responsibility on Eve and God, did not take responsibility at all. Now, I would have hated to be Adam after I said that. Because my wife is not from North Gulfport, but she act like she's from North Gulfport. And the eye rolling that she would have given me after saying to her, this woman you gave me, that wouldn't have... That wouldn't have helped us. Everybody shout, help them to recover. Mm. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I'm done. And he said, I heard the, the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Here's number four and I'm done. When the plans fail, repent, re-strategize, forgive, and move forward. Repent, re-strategize, forgive, move forward. Repent, re-strategize, forgive, and move forward. Genesis 3, 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 24. He drove out the man and ate. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. 4.1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep. What, what happened in this fourth point? They repented. They re-strategized. They forgave each other. And they decided to move forward with their lives. It doesn't make sense for you and your spouse to fail in something that you're trying to do and y'all spend the next 15 years blaming each other because what didn't work out one time. At some point, you gotta both forget, uh, repent, re-strategize, forgive one another, and decide to move on. You're not sweeping it under the rug. You're choosing to take the rest of your life and actually make the best of it. 